Lady Samus is under fire. She sent an emergency directive. Join the fight. Calling all Metroid fans. If you've been dying for a Metroid podcast to listen to on the road to Metroid Prime 4, you're in luck. Introducing the Omega Metroid Podcast, the only weekly Metroid show on the internet. Join Andy Spiteri of the Champions Cast and esports personality Dakota the Rapture Lasky as they explore the world of Metroid and talk Samus, Space Pirates, and Nintendo every Tuesday. Finally, a show for Metroid fans by Metroid fans. Subscribe on Podbean and iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Omega Metroid Pod. See you next mission. Dungeon.net. My name is Andy Spateri, joined as always by Allison Aletha. Al, how the heck are you? I'm doing fantastic, actually. I had a really busy week. I was sick, but then my friend, my best friend came into town, and it was a great weekend. That's awesome. And uh, we are also joined by the returning, the triumphant, Corey Richmond. Corey, how are you? I'm doing just dandy. I'm a little sore, actually. I've been working out, but other than that, I'm good. Did you did you get ring fit? Yeah, yeah, I was sore after that. Um, you, you Corey, the last time you were on the show, we had a lot of people uh, point out that they really enjoyed your guest appearance. I'm back by popular demand, I guess. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Uh, I have a, a little bit of special news here. This is episode 116 of the Champions Cast. Woo! 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 <laughs> if you know, you know. Uh, we've got a really good episode for you guys today. Um, of course, last week we covered in a marathon episode the uh, the top 50 dungeon list, but kind of a side conversation that sprung out of that uh, that general conversation was what is the best intro dungeon in the Legend of Zelda series and that is what we are here today to tackle and to answer and uh, we're going to get into it. We have each kind of pooled our resources. We've come up with a list, the top five intro dungeons in the series and we're going to have some honorable mentions too of areas that kind of aren't really dungeons but we're going to put them in there anyways and of course we picked out some of the worst ones as well but before we get there I have a very exciting very special announcement to make Drum roll, please. The Chappies cast is now available over on Facebook. We have our own dedicated Facebook page that we are going to be updating regularly. On that Facebook page, you're going to be able to find links to all the new episodes. You're going to be able to find clips from all the old episodes, which is actually like horrifying because it reminds me how bad my microphone was for the first <laughs> like 20 or 30 episodes of the show. But that's all there. Uh, we're going to have mods that are going to be interacting with you guys. We are going to be doing a Facebook AMA next week where we're going to be taking questions from Facebook and then we're going to be making an entire episode out of that. And rumor has it that I will be going on Facebook Live at some point just to chat to everybody. So that's uh, that's the new thing that we're doing. We're hoping to grow the, the podcast even more by introducing it to a uh, 
to a Facebook audience. Of course, we have our dedicated audience over on the Zelda Dungeon Discord server, but that's uh, it's a small fish in a large ocean. So we are venturing out there on our Facebook page. So make sure that you go ahead and like the page, tell your friends about it, where they can go to get their Zelda fix. And um, I, I'm thinking that we're going to try and be pretty active over there too, commenting and posting. So I'm really excited about that. Heck yeah, I'm super excited about it too. Uh, Champions Cast over on uh, on Facebook. Um, and we'll have that link in the show notes today so you can just uh, make it easy peasy. Go ahead and like that. Um, before we get into today's show as well, something that caught my eye, there is a new Majora's Mask uh, first four figures uh, figure, which, which looks actually like stunningly amazing. Uh, and they always do. They always do. I should just say that. But uh, something just about the visual of the uh of the design of majora's mask just looks like so so awesome to me um so i'm looking at this thing right now and like even the packaging looks like just absolutely incredible i just wanted to give a uh, a special shout out to that because i'm i'm a big fan of all these uh of all the statues that they do i think that they look like really fantastic and like this one is no different so uh you should go ahead and check that out Alright, with that being said, uh, I am ready to talk about some intro dungeons in the Legend of Zelda series. Are you guys ready? I'm ready, let's do it. Ready to roll. Alright, so I I figured that we do this. We start off with our honorable mentions, and then we go into our actual list itself. We did rank them numerically, but I mean, really, it's just kind of in no particular order. Although I think number one is probably definitely the best. But let's start off with our honorable mentions. And, uh, and talk about some of the, the quasi-dungeons or like areas that weren't exactly dungeons, but really excellent kind of kind of intro areas. And you know what, guys? I guess we should also kind of specify, too, for the record. Like, what do you guys consider an intro dungeon? Because I guess we should nail down the definition of what exactly an intro dungeon is. So, like, what, what's your guys' definition of an intro dungeon before we get going here? I mean, I kind of... I. At first, I was just thinking that it was the first dungeon that you play in the game, but after talking to you guys about it, I realized it's more like something that teaches you how to play the game, especially if you go right into it. That's why we're going to mention areas, like intro areas, instead of dungeons, because sometimes it takes you quite a bit of time to get to that first dungeon, and by then, it's not an intro dungeon anymore. Yeah, I'd say that's exactly right. It's it's more of like a whatever section kind of teaches you what the game is going to be like and especially if it teaches you you know stuff about combat or how the puzzles or dungeons are going to work moving forward I would kind of consider that an intro dungeon yeah exactly so uh you know Allison and I were, were going back and forth because um originally like the the kind of definition was an intro dungeon would be the first dungeon that you do but like Allison said and Corey mentioned in the case of like a really good intro dungeon they're teaching you the basic fundamentals of the game. So, for example, in Majora's Mask, by the time that you get to Woodfall Temple, you've probably been playing for hours already, and then also in the case when you get to the Forest Temple in Twilight Princess. So those are, they're the first dungeons, but they're not necessarily intro dungeons. Those those dungeons are already at that point, even though they're the first, they're taking all the skills that you've learned and they're putting you to the test right away instead of like slowly kind of easing you into it a little bit. So we didn't include those dungeons on our list and um really we kind of settled on the definition of an intro dungeon is something that teaches you how to play while also offering a challenge 
and really showing you and setting the tone for the rest of the game. So with that definition said and that out of the way, let's get into some of our honorable mentions here. And the first uh, honorable mention that we have is The Sewers from A Link to the Past. And Corey, this was a pick uh, of yours. Why don't you tell us why you like The Sewers so much? Yeah, so the thing about The Sewers and Hyrule Castle specifically is that they're, aside from your house, they're the first structure that you enter, and it really throws you into the action right away, kind of similar to uh, the Great Deku Tree, in that it doesn't take a lot of time to get there. And then once you get there, it really teaches you the fundamentals of basically how dungeons are going to function. It's not exactly a dungeon, but it teaches you that, you know, there are chests that have items. You know, you have your lantern that you get, and then there's a lot of puzzles in the sewers that revolve around at least lighting up the torches so that you can see. It teaches you about small keys and locked doors and stuff like that. Yep, that's a solid pick for me. I always liked the, the intro section of A Link to the Past, and, like, it really does happen at, like, the top of the game um and you know a thing about the intro dungeons that are going to be on our list here is like lots of them happen pretty quickly into the game but like this one just starts like pretty much right away inside uh you know link's house and him getting to the sewers and then rescuing um zelda so i i really like kind of actually the the feel of this one it's like it's dark it's raining it's kind of ominous i i think like from my perspective the the intro dungeon area is like it's pretty good but to me, what makes it memorable is just kind of the aesthetic um, around it. So I, mm-hmm. I like this pick a lot. And this would probably be up there, you know, again, if it wasn't like a, a quote-unquote, if it was a quote-unquote real dungeon, this would probably have cracked my, my list for sure. I keep saying uh, week after week is that, like, with um, A Link to the Past, a lot of the stuff that I liked about it before was that it was just nostalgia. Um I mean, I understand what you guys are saying that it was, um, you know, it's right there at the top of the game. You start it right away, but, um, (laughs) I don't know. I, it's, it's all right. It's again, it doesn't feel like a full blown dungeon. So that's probably why it's not on our list. Yep. Fair enough. Um, okay. Let's move on to honorable mention number two here. And uh, Allison, you had mentioned this dungeon, and um, I'll, I'll take the lead here on this one if you don't mind. This is the Forsaken Fortress from The Wind Waker. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we were doing our definitive dungeon list, I actually put this as my favorite Wind Waker dungeon, and Allison, you put it as your least favorite. So I was a little bit surprised to see this on your list. But like I said then, I'll repeat it now, I really do like uh, the Forsaken Fortress. I love the stealth elements to it, and I love the... Uh, just kind of the whole like sneaking around the fortress. I think that it's really fun. I I don't think that it necessarily is a fantastic intro dungeon in the sense of like, well, I mean, first of all, it's not, you know, quote unquote a dungeon because you don't have a map, you don't have at this point in the game an item, and you don't have a boss battle. But more importantly, um, what this dungeon does is it encourages you to like sneak around and be stealthy, which isn't really what you do at any other point in the Wind Waker. So while the dungeon itself is really fun, it, is, it isn't teaching you skills that you're going to use throughout the rest of your adventure. So I didn't think of this one when I was considering a good intro dungeon, but I can see just in terms of it being like a really fun set piece, I can see why this is on your list. Yeah, I was, um, I didn't mean for it to be like uh, shocking, but when we were discussing um, what is considered an intro dungeon, an intro area or whatever, it's kind of hard to pick something that's an intro dungeon quote unquote because it's like 
our criteria is it has to be kind of right away and teach you what's going on with the game. So I feel like the Forsaken Fortress kind of does that. Um, it's weird because you lose your sword, so that's kind of odd for a Zelda game intro dungeon. So I can, like, that's probably one of the criteria that pushes it out. But, I mean, if you get caught, there's a puzzle to kind of figure out how to get yourself out. You know, there's, you have to figure out how to sneak around. You have to figure out, um, like, uh, Corey mentioned with the sewers, you know, there's chests to show you where there's, like, heart pieces and all that kind of stuff. And then the puzzles with the lights, of course. So... It still kind of teaches you how to play the game and how to expect, you know, um, future dungeons to be. It's just not quite up to our criteria for what we're saying for an intro dungeon um, for the rest of our list. Right. Right. Corey, I know that you're a big Wind Waker fan. What are, what are your thoughts on this? I'm not a big fan of uh, Forsaken Fortress as a dungeon in general, but I do. I agree that it's like it's fun to go through and it's a fun little set piece and it's you know it is a fun stealth section but doesn't really function that well as an intro dungeon because of the points you guys said like you use your you lose your sword and that's kind of fundamental to how the rest of the game is going to play and there's not really any stealth sections later so i think basically just like you guys said it does it's fun but it doesn't function well as a as an intro dungeon for me right uh I, I pretty much agree with what you said, Corey. Let's move on to the last uh, kind of honorable mention here before we get into our list. And if we were talking just about like what it's what's the best like intro to the series and not we didn't attach the word dungeon to that. And keep in mind this whole idea was born out of the top fifty dungeon list, so the dungeon part was kind of integral to this. But if it was just the the best intro. I think that Majora's Mask's first three-day cycle would be up there, if not maybe number one on my list. So we included it on our honorable mention list here. This is a really, like, this is probably the most critical intro section of of any Zelda game, actually, because Majora's Mask is just so weird with its three-day mechanic, and this really teaches you kind of how to use that. It, It tells you the importance of, like, certain hours on the timeline. Like, you have to be at, uh, Clock Tower at, like, uh, 12 or, or whatever it happens to be. I think it's 12. Um, so you need to show up exactly on time. You need to, it teaches you how to adjust to your Deku body. It teaches you, it basically just, it teaches you how that whole system is going to work and going to function. So I think that like the, the opening intro in Majora's Mask is, is really fun, but it also is, is like very critically important just in teaching the player, like how this whole, three-day system is going to function and how ingrained it is going to be into every aspect of the gameplay throughout Majora's Mask. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I, you know, it's kind of funny, but I never thought of it that way until, like, uh, we started talking about it. I want to say back during our Majora's Mask month that we did all those episodes where I I kind of always figured it was like, oh, you want to kind of get through this part so that you could... um so that you could continue on with the rest of the game. But you really are learning a lot about the, the, the three days that you have in those first three days. If you take the time to do it, of course. So you learn, you know, all the people's, like, schedules and stuff. You learn that you can't leave the town unless you're, you know, you have a sword. You learn about the moon falling. And I actually, like, in I know that's not really combat or anything that you're learning for the dungeons outside of town. But since the town is such a huge part of the game, that does feel like, 
you're learning how the game is going to be in those first three days. So, yeah, I agree, I agree. with that. That's It's fantastic. Yeah, I think you guys hit the nail right on the head. It teaches you exactly how the game, how the three-day cycle is going to function. But on top of that, you get the bomber's notebook. And that's, that is essential in teaching you how the side quests of the game are going to work. And the side quests of the game take up a really big chunk of what's enjoyable in that game to me. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic point actually. And like even even when you get the bomber's notebook, you can start to in that first three day cycle, you can start to see people's patterns. Yeah. You'll make notes about Anju, you'll make notes about the first moon tier falling, which, you know, leads you on a quite rewarding side quest that gives you like four pieces of heart. Um, you 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 start to learn all of the different um, quirks about all these characters in, in this town. And and I think you're right, like the you know, Clock Town isn't a dungeon, but it is the most important part of Majora's Mask in terms of its functionality. So, uh, yeah, this would be this would be up there for me if, if we hadn't have kind of pigeonholed ourselves into a dungeon list. But we did want to talk about it and just kind of give it uh, a little bit of props for, you know, everything good that this first uh, three-day cycle does. Let's get into our actual list itself. So what Corey and Allison and I did is we each kind of came up with a, uh, a couple dungeons and we merged our lists into one. I don't think we left out anything, actually. I think we were pretty much all in line with each other for the most part here. Um, but the one that was out of line here is number five on our <laughs> list. And this is from Allison and Aletha. Uh, at Allison and Aletha, send your hate tweets there. This is number five, Temple of the Ocean King. Okay. Allison, explain yourself. Let's be fair, okay? There aren't, when we gave ourselves this criteria, like, there aren't a lot of games that you have to like you go straight into a dungeon to and have a dungeon that teaches you what you're supposed to know about the game so i went ahead and threw temple of the ocean king out there <laughs> and um if it's if it's our criteria i i i know it's definitely not a top for most people but you you're literally you're thrown in there you understand that your life is being siphoned out if you don't have the sands of time um you kind of get the gist of how to run around in there and keep your life um, or preserve your time. Um, it shows you a puzzle right away. It shows you the items you're going to be getting for the rest of the time that you're in there um, for all your visits coming back, which is map pieces. Um, and then I'm, I can't remember if the first portion has a... I don't think it does, but it should show like the... They occasionally have, like, treasure chests that'll pop up if you, like, maybe beat all the enemies or whatever. So I think that's integral to showing that you could solve puzzles later to get prizes later that you weren't able to before. So while it isn't the greatest, and it definitely probably doesn't fit at number five, but we're pushing it into number five, at least I am, because of our criteria, it does the job. You know what? I'm I'm willing to concede actually that there are certain parts in the Temple of the Ocean King that aren't too bad. And when I say certain parts, I mean like generally speaking, I feel like the especially with the the first little parts of this dungeon here, um, the first a couple rooms of it aren't too terribly awful because you only do it once. And like you, for example, when you're bringing the Triforce pieces into the puzzle, um, you know that that in and of itself isn't bad. The problem comes later in the game when you have to like consistently redo this you know these first couple rooms over and over and over again um so i i actually don't hate temple of the ocean king like you said it kind of teaches you that you know okay like we we're going to be coming back to this dungeon over and over and we have only a certain amount of time 
Uh, we can do certain things to be rewarded with extra time to add on to our hourglass or, you know, it, basically we can we can do things in the most efficient way. And I think that this dungeon, at least initially, the first time you go there, is actually pretty decent in, in telling you that. Um, I wouldn't make the argument that this is, you know, this is such a weird dungeon because it's both an intro dungeon and also it's the final dungeon in the game. So it's really kind of unique. But I think that the first couple of parts in Temple of the Ocean King aren't too terribly bad. They do show you a lot of the fundamentals of this game and what you're going to need to be doing in order to, you know, progress not only in here, but in other dungeons throughout the game. So I, I wouldn't put it on my list, but I can see, Allison, where you can appreciate, you know, what this dungeon is trying to accomplish and what it's trying to teach the players. Fair. Yep. Fair enough. Yeah. I I do not like Temple of the Ocean King, but I'm willing to let your argument slide because I have not played it in a very long time, so I don't really even remember the intro that much. But your argument does make sense. Uh, you know what I just thought of, too? I guarantee that we're going to be hearing about not putting uh, the eagle from Legend of Zelda on our list, which also, shout out to uh, to Gooey Fame. If you're if you're into, uh, you know, what we've been doing with the dungeons, um, our pal Gooey Fame just started his own YouTube channel uh, ranking individual dungeons one by one in chronological order. So they're about five minutes long. You should check it out. Corey, I actually hear that you uh, maybe maybe contributed some artwork to this series. I did. I did his logo and all the all the little backgrounds that you'll see, which are basically just inspired by, you know, rooms in dungeons in the original Legend of Zelda. I set all those up for him, too. Yeah, that was looking slick. As soon as I saw that, I knew that that was a Corey Richmond production. <laughs> uh, all right. So somehow, someway, Temple of the Ocean King is slithered into the fifth spot on our list. But uh, now the list is going to try and gain back some of its legitimacy here. Let's move on to number four, which is Tail Cave from Link's Awakening. And you know what? I actually forgot, and I think that this is going to be a thing for me in the coming future here, but I forgot that this was like, when I was thinking of Tail Cave, I was thinking of Link's Awakening DX. I totally forgot that it had the remake in 2019 with like the new and improved Tail Cave. So I was just kind of thinking of, uh, you know, 1997 Link's Awakening DX. But I think that this dungeon is is really nice it's really simple um you you spend a little bit of time in Maid village before you get there and you you go into the forest and you kind of schmuck around with Terran. you get the key and that also shows you the importance of like you know every dungeon in this game you're going to need to acquire a key for so that establishes that precedent uh, right away with this dungeon but i think like the actual dungeon itself is like it's i mean let's be let's be frank there's not as much to kind of learn about 2d zeldas as there is about 3d zeldas in terms of like how you move and how the game functions um you know 2d zelda is simpler and that's actually not a critique at all it's there there's beauty in that but you know this is it's an easy enough dungeon um you go through you get the item you face the boss it's it's not particularly challenging by any means but it also does do a decent job of kind of implementing the 2d sections where you're platforming with the overall structure of the dungeon so i i always thought that this was kind of like a a nice little dungeon i always looked forward to getting here and to playing it whenever i started Link's awakening and i think that just in terms of like it's it's difficulty it's not hard but it's it's hard enough and, uh, you know, getting to it isn't quite challenging, but you do have to go out of your way to get the key. Um, I, this one always stood out to me as being kind of a nice intro dungeon in the series. Yeah, this is a really good intro dungeon. And I'm actually going to input a little counterpoint to something you said about how because it's a 2D game, you're not really learning anything functionally. 
But the dungeon item for this dungeon is Rock's Feather. And that teaches you how to jump, and that is absolutely essential to the way that the rest of the game functions. Yeah, you know what? Actually, that's a great point, actually. Yeah. The way that they implement it in the game and in the dungeon itself is really clever, too, because more than likely, as you're going around the overworld, you're going to start seeing these little holes that you can fall into, and you're like, all right, what's the deal with those? And then you go into the dungeon, and it's interesting the way they set it up that you basically get Rock's Feather when you get as far into the dungeon as possible. Like, you go all the way to the end of the dungeon, basically, and on your way there, you're passing multiple holes, and you're like, what are the, what's the deal with these? And then you get the Rock's Feather, and on your way back, there are multiple holes set up so that you can just jump over them and skip rooms filled with, like, blade traps and stuff. And I just think that's really neat that they set it up knowing that once you know how to jump over pits, you can basically just zoom all the way back to the start. Yeah, that's a that's a great point actually. Um, I will I will also say too. I'm gonna I'm gonna even recant something that I said because actually now that I was thinking about it, I feel like I I lied a little bit. I said that it was a, a pretty easy boss, but I actually think that uh, Moldorm can be kind of tricky if you're not jumping over him properly. I have fallen many a time down that shaft and had to climb back up and start over from scratch mm-hmm. facing him so I'll, i'm going to retract that as well but um yeah i think that this is it's just a you know it's a it's a nice little little dungeon and you know what um funny enough this this dungeon also kind of introduces another running bit that you're going to see throughout the rest of Link's awakening but like when you go into the dungeon and you're in those 2d parts you fight goombas from super mario bros <laughs> and like it's just it's just so surreal to see like Goombas down there and like you know that's going to be a running thing that you'll see for the rest of Link's Awakening is, is Goombas and, and bloopers and I think you fight Kirby and Eagle's Tower at one point so it kind of shows you that this is going to be a weird game uh, through and through. Yeah it definitely sets up some subversive moments later on. I uh, I actually just had an interesting thought while you guys were uh, while you guys were talking is um so for me this the remake was the first time ever playing this game for me but um i started it i played it after playing breath of the wild and so if you think about it all the new people that came into the series with breath of the wild they get all their items like right off the bat right so if you decided to play Link's awakening for the first time after playing breath of the wild it actually like that dungeon kind of that first dungeon kind of introduces you to how the actual Zelda formula is, where you get the item in the dungeon. So I, that's kind of an interesting like perspective for all new people coming into the series. But I was kind of thrown off because I was like, I was like, as Corey said, I saw all these holes, and I'm like, how am I supposed to get over these? I don't have the necessary things that I I do in uh in the last Zelda game that I played. So. I, I agree that it definitely it retaught me how to play a Zelda how to play a classic Zelda game, and it um I, like from what I remember playing uh, Link's Awakening, each dungeon gets harder and harder. So it was a good like t- it set a good tone for the rest of the game for me. I will say too that the the one thing that I love about um, Tail Cave as well is that it gives you a good dungeon item. And I don't actually think that that is the case all the time in Link's Awakening. Uh, you know, we have Link's Awakening coming up on our next uh, definitive ranking series. And I don't know about you guys, but I actually gave the items of Link's Awakening a 1. 
because Oof. I just I feel like the items aren't super strong in that game. Like you get a power bracelet and, and not one but two dungeons as your main dungeon item. Like that's it's kind of weak to me. So it is nice to see um, the rock's feather in this be like a significant item that you use in this dungeon and throughout the rest of the game. So um, yeah, I, I think that this you know it stands up. I think uh, as one of the best intro dungeons in the series. Um, let's move on unless we have any other closing thoughts about Tale Cave. Nope, I'm good. No? I'm good. All right. Let's move on and let's cover one of my personal favorites, and I can hear everybody rolling their eyes, but I don't care. Deepwood Shrine from the Minish Cap. And uh, I'm, I'm going to go off for a little bit here. I think that not only is this a fantastic intro dungeon in that it teaches you, like, kind of, you know, the ins and outs of, like, how to play, um, how, how Minish Cap uses, like, sort of 3d elements in it like in, in the case of the spinning barrel at the center of the of the dungeon in here but it's just like functionally it's just like a really really great dungeon um you have you have an awesome item that's unique to the minish cap in the in the gust jar and when you get the gust jar it shows you that you can use this to get rid of cobwebs you can use it to to move yourself if you're on a lily pad in uh you know in the water um it's it's just like a really solid item. Um, the the bosses are fantastic. There's there's kind of like a caterpillar esque mini boss that's really good, and he shows up a couple times in this. Um, you fight a not even a giant chew. It's just a regular chew. It's just that you're little. Um, but you fight a chew at the end of this, which is a great boss fight. Um, the the puzzles I think are really slick in this game and or in this dungeon. And again, it kind of shows you. Like the ins and outs where like you need to push jars on switches, you need to defeat this boss to open this door. It's like all of the fundamental Zelda stuff that you would come to expect in the first couple of dungeons here. But yeah, something about the dungeon, I think that the the aesthetic of it and just the setting of it, where you are this, you know, you're you're minish size and you've stumbled your way into this dungeon in the Pakori village. I think that I, I just think that like the whole setting of it is really, really clever. It's um it's a unique first dungeon i think because it introduces just really a lot of stuff at you again with the gust jar and the, and the lily pads and like your how you're navigating around in the in the depths of this dungeon i think the spinning barrel mechanic where you can get out and go on a couple different exits from that is really really uh unique to that game so i i picked this dungeon you know almost almost because i just think that it's a really fantastic dungeon as much as i think that it's a really fantastic intro dungeon it's just that it happens to also be an intro dungeon. So I, I really love Deepwood Shrine. I really actually love all the dungeons in Minish Cap, as everybody listening to this, I'm sure, knows <laughs> by now. But, um, yeah, I think that this one is one of the best. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you, Andy. I'm, I'm a huge Minish Cap fan myself, and uh, Deepwood Shrine was actually one of my picks, too. I think it just functions very well as an intro dungeon. And to piggyback off of something you said with the aesthetic of it, it's so it, it kind of sets you up to see the sort of subversive and creative things that the designers do with making spaces that seem teeny tiny in the overworld be actual large, you know, like full dungeons. Because in the overworld, Deepwood Shrine in its entirety takes up like four tiles, maybe like six tiles or something. But you shrink down and you go inside and you're like, there's an entire dungeon in here. And that that's something... That sense of wonder is something that I've always loved in the Minish Cap, and I think this really foreshadows the way that the rest of the game is going to do that consistently as well. 
And then the gut, like you said, yeah. the gust jar is an awesome item. It's used really well in the dungeon itself, but you're going to use the gust jar for the entire game. Whether it's, whether it's, you know, pushing yourself on lily pads or using it to suck up mushrooms so you can fling across a ravine. You can even use it in, actually you do have to use it in the final boss battle against Vati to suck up like the little purple dust thingies, so. Yeah, and you and you also uh, I can't remember the enemy's name, but you got to suck the little face masks off of those horribly annoying enemies that charge at you. Um, other games would have you use the hook shot to do that, but this one you just suck them up with the gust jar. Um, yeah, I, I think that the gust jar is actually an, an amazing item. And again, I think that all the dungeon items in Minish Cap are amazing. But yeah, I, I really do love that it, it looks so tiny on the the overworld map, and like you can see it when you're passing it by, and it's like this little blip. It almost looks like it almost looks like flower pixels. It's so small and so indescript, but it's really awesome. And you you kind of replicate that later when you go to um, the Temple of Droplets too, where you just drop into a, a hole and instead you've got a whole dungeon there. Mm-hmm. I, I love that about Minish Cap. I'm glad that you brought that up because I think it's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. I, I also really like this dungeon too because like the thing about Zelda games is there's always like a mechanic going on with the game. So this is just Deepwood is just such a perfect example of using the mechanic of the game to solve the puzzles, to get through the dungeon, and to beat the boss because you also have to beat the boss as a tiny person too. So it's just it just does such a good job of introducing you to the fact that you're gonna have to shrink and um, the like. You guys are saying the gust. There's not much more I could say to be honest. The gust jar is a perfect item. Um, that shows you what you could do with it for the rest of the game and for the final boss fight. And it's just it's just such a fantastic way to show you exactly what you're supposed to do as a little tiny person. It's great. <laughs> and the Minish Cap <laughs> is a gem. Can't, it can't get better than that. Yeah, it, it truly is. Um, okay, let's go on to number two on our list. We were blitzing through this here. Now, we kind of cheated, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, what would, a, what would a list of ours look like without some cheating going on here? But, you know, we wanted to, in, in terms of our actual definition of an intro dungeon, teaching you exactly how the game's mechanics function and how the, like, the important stuff in the game works, I think that The Great Plateau from Breath of the Wild is probably more true to that definition, even though it's not a dungeon per se. But, you know, we, we, could, we were just like, Okay, what, what is it, Allison? Like, four shrines four sh- in the Great Plateau? Yes, four shrines in the Great Plateau, yep. So we were like, okay, well, that's probably equivalent to about one dungeon. And, like, when you think about it, they they teach you how to use each of your runes. They teach you kind of, you need to, you're going to need to go out of your way to look for these shrines in the game. They teach you um, what these shrines are kind of all about in their bite-sized dungeon-esque presentation. So this one, while it's not technically an intro dungeon seemed like it was really true to the spirit of what we were looking for and thus we you know we we decided to put it on our list yeah and not only does it show you the shrines but it shows you every single mechanic that you're going to be looking for in the game it shows you how to find koroks it shows you how to work with the elements it shows you what happens at night um it shows you how to swim how to fish how to collect uh or how to like harvest and collect other things, how to chop wood, how to cook. It shows you literally everything that you're going to be doing in this game. So while it's not a dungeon, it's I, I like to call it tutorial plateau. That ex- that that's pretty good explanation right there. 
It's pretty apt. Yeah. yeah. Great Plateau really is exactly Breath of the Wild in a microcosm. You could you you know you could play the entire Great Plateau and you you've basically played what the rest of Breath of the Wild is going to be like. It teaches it teaches you everything. There's and there's overworld bosses. You got the taluses. You have enemy camps, which are going to be popping up all over the map. At the end of it, you get the paraglider, which you're going to be using the entire game. And you, I think you guys just hit the nail right on the head. Everything in the Great Plateau teaches you exactly, exactly how the rest of the game is going to be. And the puzzles themselves in the shrines, they're used really creatively. It teaches you how to use your runes to solve problems. But on top of that, even inside the Great Plateau itself, outside of the shrines, it's still teaching you how to use your runes to solve problems because there's... You know, there's things where it's like, oh, there's a chest underwater. How do I get that? Oh, I got to use my magnesis rune. Oh, I need to get across this, you know, water gap or something. I can use, uh, cry- what is it, cryonis? Mm-hmm. Cryosis. Cryosis. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's it's really a teaching experience the whole way through. Yeah, and, and I mean, you got, the, you got the Temple of Time in there, too, which you're going to be coming back to over and over again throughout the throughout the game but no i i really like the like i i think that it's just kind of true to what our list is all about here and i think that like in particular like the shrines themselves just like teach you how to use each of the ruins because like you really are going to be using all of them extensively throughout the rest of the game and it it just kind of gives you that that basic kind of competence to use them and then from there you can use them in all these different creative ways and and imaginative ways to accomplish things, but without the, you know, the couple shrines teaching you the the basic ins and outs, you're probably never going to come up with some of those tricks that you use to progress in Breath of the Wild later in the game. So I I think that this is like a very, very important section to this game. And uh, you know what? I mean, on top of that too, the the intro shrines are, are fun. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Yeah. I, you know, it's kind of funny cause I, I speed run that game a lot. So the, the great plateau gets done very quickly, but when I casually play it, I like to just hang out on the plateau and like just go everywhere and do everything, get all the Bokoblin chests. It's such a fun intro area. Like you don't want to get out of it. Whereas I kind of feel like if you're playing a different game that I'm sure we'll mention here soon, you're just like, God, this is taking forever to get through this intro uh, section. I just want to get into the game. But the plateau does a really good job of actually wanting to keep you there. Yeah, there's so much to explore, too. It's really mm-hmm. big. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's let's move on to our number one intro dungeon. And this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. But, of course, we picked Inside the Deku Tree from Ocarina of Time. I wrote about this in our top 50 dungeon list, so I'll give you guys kind of first crack at uh, just saying what it is about this that that really draws you in. Uh, Corey, what do you think? So, I I am, I am love Ocarina of Time. It's, a, it's an amazing game. I don't think that can be denied. I like to keep it in check a lot because it gets a lot of unconditional blind love, uh, especially from... Uh, the Zelda Dungeon staff a little bit. <laughs> but even with that said, there's no denying that Inside the Great Deku Tree is a phenomenal intro dungeon. It does exactly what we've been talking about this whole time. It teaches you exactly not only how puzzles and dungeons are going to function moving forward in that game, 
But you got to keep in mind, this is the first dungeon. This is the first 3D dungeon in any Zelda game. And it teaches you exactly how all dungeons, up until probably Breath of the Wild, which kind of flipped it on its head with the Divine Beasts, but this really sets up exactly what 3D Zelda dungeons are going to be like. There's going to be a central theme. A lot of times there's going to be a central puzzle. In this one, you know, you have like the cobweb that you have to jump through. Uh, you're going to get a dungeon item, which is going to be used to solve puzzles in that particular dungeon. And it really, this dungeon just executes that flawlessly. And it's perfect for... You know, it's it's enjoyable for veteran players and especially for new players. Even if this isn't, even if this is your first Zelda game, heck, even if this is your first video game, this dungeon really teaches you how you're going to be solving puzzles with the items you have at your disposal in a 3D space. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Allison, do you have anything to add? Yeah, 100%. Like, um,. Like Corey said, it's the first one in 3D, so it took that that classic, iconic Zelda formula that we know and love of a dungeon and made it 3D, and it did it fantastically. I especially really like that the the uh, Great Taiku Tree just makes it feel like it's your first test of courage for the entirety of the game. He asks you if you are basically brave enough to help him, and I think that's really cool. And so you go into this, you're just kind of a little nervous brand new baby playing this game and you go in and you're like this is my first test of courage i gotta figure this out and and it, it is like a trip to figure it out while you could do it quickly because most people know this know this game by now but at the very first time that you play it it does exactly what it's supposed to do it teaches you you know that you're going to need a map a compass if you want to get everything in there it tells you about the golden scotolas um, and it even kind of introduces what you're going to face in the boss with those egg sacks, like falling from the ground in that one room. And, and then Goma is like such a fantastic intro boss. Like this just right off the bat, you've got this giant terrifying monster that you have to fight. And I, like I said, you already know this game by now, but at the very beginning, that thing was so scary, and you're just like, how the heck am I supposed to do this? But you eventually figure out that it's the item that you got, and, you know, the Zelda series likes its eyeballs to be the weakness, so <laughs> you figure out that Goma's eye is the weakness, but it just does such a good job. I can't, like, we've been talking about all these other ones, but this one, this one is the iconic starting point for the series i know there's zelda games before it but it, this one just takes the cake to be honest it really is yeah this one this one is far and away the the number one for me and uh cory i really like what you said like this is not only the intro dungeon for ocarina of time it feels like the intro dungeon for every single 3d zelda game to follow it and i think that this really you know it's a testament to how good this dungeon is is that you know you can i think that you could actually say that for you know all of the 3d games to follow because there are elements of this dungeon in almost everything yes um this this dungeon teaches you a lot of really important things like you know it, it teaches you that generally you need to expose a weakness in the boss to um to defeat it but i think that the true triumph of this dungeon is just to put some context here ocarina of time is our first 3d legend of zelda game ever and um you know, the, the intro in uh, Kokiri Forest, you, you talk to a couple of the Kokiri children and they're, they're telling you how to do some things, you know, hold hold L to Z target or 
hold Z, I guess, to Z target back in the day on the N64. Um, but hold this button to Z target. You you use this button to do this. And so you kind of get that from the kids in Kakariko. But like you, you go into this um, dungeon and I think it would have been really easy for Navi to beat you over the head with like, do this, do that. And while she does pipe up a couple times and tell you that like, hey, you can climb these vines and, you know, you can dive if you press A, she really doesn't, like, they, they don't beat you over the head with exposition. They let you explore, but they don't let you get necessarily lost. And I feel that this dungeon just really walks that fine line to, to perfection. Um, because it, it would have been easy to swing in one direction and just have it just be like, okay, like, just let me let me go and explore. And I feel like every time that you're in the Deku Tree, uh, I never get that feeling. And I, I always feel like I am exploring. Um, so I really think that it does a fantastic job in that uh, in that regard. It also, like, I kind of like how it, you know, like Allison said, like, it's your first test of courage. It's your first dungeon. You're fighting this, this really evil boss. But to me, there's also, like, a sense of comfort when I'm in this dungeon because I'm just like, well, you know, I'm in the great Deku tree. Like uh, at least, at least there's that, like at least my friend might, might come in and protect me or something. I just remember feeling a sense of comfort as a kid playing it. And especially because Navi was there as well, because that was your first like real companion, um, you know, in a Zelda game too. So I, I always liked it for that. And uh, since we didn't talk about it, and you, I don't have a lot more to add about the functionality of the dungeon. I just want to give a shout out to the music, which I always like love the the music in this dungeon and they actually use it for all the hidden grottos all over hyrule field and the rest of the game that also to me was like very calming and very very serene um so i i love everything about this dungeon i think it does such a fantastic job and it's such a critical important dungeon in the history of zelda like this is the first 3d dungeon ever and if they would have bundled it up uh you know who who knows because it really your first dungeon your intro dungeon and why we why we got on this topic in the first place your intro dungeon just really like sets the tone for the whole game and for how the whole game is going to play out so i think that inside the deku tree just does such a marvelous job at you know setting up your expectations um and just kind of telling you what this game is going to be all about so yeah this one is far and away the top intro dungeon in the series to me and you know i think that most of the people listening would probably agree with that. Yeah, I'd say yeah. so too. Definitely. So there it is. Top intro dungeons of the series. But we wanted to have a little bit of fun too. And we also wanted to talk about what we thought are the worst <laughs> intro sections in the series. Love uh, it. So Allison, I know that you had mentioned something earlier. Why don't you tell us what uh, what you're thinking? Um, With Skyward Sword. So here's the thing i love skyward sword everybody knows this and but the beginning part it just holds your hand too much like you were talking about navi you feel like they could have made it overwhelming with her trying to help you well they kind of do that with skyward sword it takes forever to even get to the first dungeon of the game and that's why it's not an intro dungeon on our list otherwise i would have fought for it to be there instead of temple of the ocean king but you just you it takes you at least 30 minutes to get off Skyloft. Um, and I mean, at least there's a good story going along that you can kind of follow, especially for the first time. But if you're playing um, 
you know, just again for the heck of it, you don't really want to sit there and listen to everybody talk for 30 minutes. So it, ju it just takes you a long time to get off the, uh, off the island in the sky. Um, you, when you finally touch down, there's still even more talking that you have to do. You have to go around this forest, which is beautiful and great. But it just takes too long, in my opinion. Maybe if you could have gotten off of Skyloft a lot quicker and then explored the forest and then gone to the, the dungeon, it wouldn't have been so bad. But um, I wouldn't. I, the pacing in Skyward Sword makes it so that it takes way too long to get in between dungeons. So I feel like while I love this game and I love the story, it's probably not the best intro of any Zelda game. Yeah, I think. Okay, you know what? I'm willing to push back a little bit on that because I think that the story is is strong enough to overcome that, but that is subjective, so I can see definitely where you're coming from. Yeah, the story definitely is the saving grace um, in that intro section, but that is the main thing with Skyward Sword's intro section is that the things that you're doing aren't they're actually pretty fun. You know, exploring Skyloft can be pretty fun. I don't mind doing the training, you know, training flying your loft wing and stuff. And then going through the cave to rescue your Loftwing, that's pretty cool too. It'll, it teaches you about enemies and stuff. But the big problem is most of the intro is not that. Most of the intro is just either watching cutscenes or mashing through text. And that's the, that's the big issue. And especially, you know, in terms of the story, that's definitely enough to captivate you, um, to push you forward a little bit. But if this is your... I don't know, third, fourth, fifth time playing this game, it's kind of like, all right, let's, you know, let's get this moving. Yeah. I mean... Sure. Uh, yeah, I can appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, and to be honest, if I also think if that if it didn't have the motion controls, it would be a little bit more bearable, but I know, like, I keep telling people to stop judging the game on the motion controls until after you beat the first temple, but it takes so dang long to get to the first temples. So. Yeah. You're going to lose <laughs> like, a lot of people by then. Yeah, exactly. Well, fair enough. Corey, did you have uh, any particular game in mind? Well, I know another one you're going to mention. If it's the one, yeah, I'll I'll we'll save that well, one. I'll, okay, then I'll 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 mention one more. I don't think it's that bad. I think it's it, I think the intro to Wind Waker is a little bit clunky. And that's an Really? That, well, that's another scenario where I think the things that you're doing are pretty fun like I really love exploring outset I love doing the lessons with Orca and I really love going up to the little forest and uh, saving Tetra but the issue is after you do that which feels like okay this is the intro section now I'm going off on my adventure into the world after that you do a little game with Nico in the ship and then after that you're in Forsaken Fortress, which is not really indicative how the game is going to play. You lose your sword, which you just got, and you kind of have to slog through that one a little bit. And then, once you're done with that, you get flung to Windfall, where you have to go around and talk to a bunch of people, and you got to get a sail, and then you got to sail all the way to Dragon Roost, which is your first dungeon. And all of these, all the things that I just listed, I enjoy really doing them, but in terms of really getting into the action it's you're not really doing that until you get to dragon roost which is probably going to take a while wow i'm i'm surprised to hear you say that because i actually uh, the, again i think that the story is enough to carry yeah. 
you know, the first little bit of the Wind Waker. And, like, I kind of enjoy doing all those things. Like, when you're playing with Nico in the in the pirate ship, you're learning yeah. how to jump and how to use uh, ropes and stuff like that. Um, and I, I think that, like, when you get to... Um, when you get to uh, the island, it's like you can meet all the different people, and you can and you can figure out like what's going on, and you know who's going to be important for side quests later. So I kind of like that. Yeah. I actually think that the game loses a lot of momentum when you get the sail and when you meet the king of red lions, and then like you you kind of then you're forced to sail. I think that the the game is actually a lot more fun until you're, you're like actually forced to so sail. So I guess I think maybe I'll I'll amend that statement a little bit. I don't think it's appropriate to lump that in with the worst intros but i definitely think it's really long and and the, okay. the story definitely does a lot to propel you especially in the beginning but it's like in in terms of judging from the starting point of the game towards the point when you really get into the action you know it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty big gap for wind waker at least the stuff you're doing is fun i will i do agree with that i do i do love you know doing the game with Nico and I love going up into the forest and I love just being on windfall and I don't mind sailing either. So none of that stuff that I mentioned is anything that bothers me. I like doing it gameplay wise. It just takes a long time to get to the first dungeon. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm surprised to hear you say that, but I ain't mad about that. Uh, I think that those are valid points. Um, okay. At the one that is the absolute worst, there's no points for guessing, but I think undisputedly <laughs> the the worst the absolute worst opening section to any game in the legend of zelda series is twilight princess and it's not even close the opening to this game is miserable it's miserable Oof. if you if you had not played twilight princess before i bet you that you're in Ordon village for like two hours before you get out of there it's miserable you have to go and you catch a fish and you retrieve a, a baby basket and you herd goats and you chase Ilya and you herd goats again and you're climbing up trees you have to collect enough rupees to buy the slingshot it is horrid and then and then once you once you finally think that you're gonna you know be out of be out of Ordon village and free to explore then you're sucked in to the twilight realm and you're turned into a wolf and you're in the miserable ugly dungeon beneath the castle where everything's hazy and everything looks dark and miserable and you have to go again and you're forced to go in the strict line to find zelda and midna's yelling at you and yapping and you're finally finished that and then you're back at ordon again it is awful by the time that you hit hyrule field you're probably playing this game if you've never played it before i bet you that you've played three hours of twilight princess do you think that that is fair yes i i think that's isn't fair. it so yep. charming though <laughs> it's miserable new word miserable we've, we've past ugly it's miserable oh my god <laughs> it's it's horrible like and and you mentioned button mashing like Dear God, you in at least in Twilight Princess HD, there are some portions where you can skip over the cutscene. I think you you can skip over most of the scene with uh, Pharaoh the Dragon or whatever its name is. I forget. Uh, so you can at least skip that scene <laughs> in the, the in dragon. the spring. 
but like you 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 can't skip over a lot of the other stuff you're just like constantly mashing a to try and try and escape these characters texts and and what they're trying to say uh and and then and not to even mention that you get you get more of Ilya in this opening than you do almost for the rest of the game and she is also probably the worst character in the Legend of Zelda series but yeah it's just like it's so it's so awful like you're just doing these these menial tasks that don't mean anything like i don't know anybody that likes herding goats unironically in twilight princess i just want to get on with my adventure i want to get to the the admittedly great dungeons that twilight princess has in the game but like my god they just it's it's literally like you are a prisoner in that opening castle that's what i feel like except i feel like i never broke out of the cell until three hours into my playthrough <laughs> so yeah it is like uh, undisputedly undisputedly the absolute worst intro to any legend of zelda game by far by a mile it's miserable i think i think i'm gonna play the devil's advocate here sorry let's, let's gang up on him now well okay people know that i don't care for twilight princess either but i have to admit that the intro section does teach you exactly what you're supposed to know for the game with the goat herding that's going to be for the escort mission later with the fishing that's going to be for getting the reek fish later with the castle and the wolf that shows you how the wolf thing is going to work the tears of light are going to show you how the tears of light thing is going to work um i mean it does teach you exactly what you're supposed to do is it long and kind of stupid how they do it yes i'll agree but it's an intro section it's like it's like putting temple of the ocean king on our list it does what it's supposed to do i think that's those are pretty good points i think the, the, <laughs> issue, the issue though i feel like is that it's it's almost as if you know you buy a game especially for older games you buy a game and you open the user manual which is a little like four or five page packet. It's like this game, the user manual is like a textbook. <laughs> it teaches you what you're supposed like, to know. It's like the user manual is, is is an evil entity and it sucked you into its pages <laughs> and you can't escape until after three oh hours when you've memorized every word. I agree with what you said, Allison. It teaches you important things. You you know, absolutely. It teaches you how to fish. It teaches you that you need to herd goats. Okay. Um, but like, let's be honest. You press A to herd goats. You could probably just have gotten away with doing that when you're on Goron Mountain right there. You probably could have just learned to fish at another point in the game instead of lumping it all into this miserable opening section. Yeah, it's really... I mean, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to argue that it's it's good or anything because it's definitely not good. I don't mind doing the thing. I You know, I'm not having an awful time being sucked into an evil entity like you are, Andy. But I will. I definitely will admit it's just a case of like, why am I doing so many things? It's just one thing after another, after another, after another, and it seemingly never ends. It's miserable. Miserable. It's miserable. Yep, that's, uh, I, I agree. I love um, goats, though. You know what? <laughs> I Goats goats can be fun, I guess, if you're, like, drinking with buddies, maybe. I, I don't know. Some people might like herding goats. But it's not in my uh, it's not in my wheelhouse of Zelda tricks that I'd call my favorites. Um, but we hope that you guys called this episode one of your favorites. Is there anything that you guys want to add to any of the intro dungeon lists? Uh, the best intro dungeon, worst intro dungeon before we go and uh, get on out of here? No, 
I I'm pretty I'm pretty solid. I think you mentioned at least most of the Zelda games in here, so that's pretty good. Yeah, I think we covered it pretty well. There's not really anything in my mind that's sticking out that I feel like should have been mentioned. I think we covered it. Uh, and, and like like I said earlier, Allison, you should probably be happy because somehow, some way, uh, Temple of the Ocean King got on our list. So that's <laughs> that can only be considered a win. Uh, Corey, you have another podcast that you are the co-host of. Tell these fine folks listening about that before we get out of here. I do. That is the Player Power Podcast. It's with my buddy Ryan. It's just a podcast about general video game stuff, video games you know and love, old and new. Uh, you can find that on Buzzsprout. You can also find it wherever you listen to podcasts. So Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, all that stuff. All right. So, yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, like I said last time Corey was on here, we've definitely lifted an idea or two from uh, the Player Power podcast for the Champions cast. So you should give them a follow and a like. Um, we want you to give us a follow and a like over on Facebook where the Champions Cast Facebook page is now live. Again, we are going to be doing a, a Facebook AMA very near in the future, so stay tuned for that. If you ask a question on Facebook, it will get answered on a future episode of the Champions Cast. Um, but that's going to do it for us for this episode. Of course, we want you to, uh, to head on over to Twitter and give us a follow. I am at Spateri316. Al is at Allison Letha and Corey's at Corey Richmond. And we want you to check us out over on iTunes and Spotify and Podbean and anywhere that you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star review if you think we've earned it and recommend us to a Zelda fanatic in your life. That's the best way to help this podcast grow. And um, until next week, guys, that's going to do it for us. We will see you then.